So hello, party people. Party people, hello. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. I know that was uh, that's a Brett Kane yeah. uh, ism that uh, you know keeping keeping him alive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I say that. Yes. You know, because we have a party. We topic. have a topic this week, everybody, and it is it is as Jay said, parties, party people. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, party related. Yeah. Idioms or uh, you know words, phrases, exuberant. And- Syllabic entanglements. Is in one of my definitions. Oh, exuberant. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. So that makes it nice. I think so. Yeah. We'll have some uh, interesting things to cover here from foliage to um, royalty and politicians. This stuff comes from all over. All right. Nice. I know. Yeah. You want me to kick us off? Uh, Why don't you go ahead and, as you say, kick us off? I will... Get us started by painting the town red. Ah. Paint the town red. Paint it red. I'm going to enjoy myself flamboyantly or go on a boisterous or exuberant spree. (laughs) (laughs) That's how the OED defines the paint the town red. Yeah, that's a buoyant spree. Exuberant spree. Exuberant. Boisterous or exuberant spree. I think we basically use it to mean we're going to go have fun tonight. Let's go out and just enjoy ourselves. Perhaps we'll we'll drink or do whatever as well. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's how I take it. It's in songs a lot, uh, some country songs, but not all. There's one that a woman sings about... Like she's waiting for this guy to get done with his shenanigans and fooling around. And she's all, she's something about, you know, when you're done painting the town red, I'll be here. I, for, I forget mm-hmm. the song. I can't can't get a hold of it yeah. in my head. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is either. Yeah, come back to me. <laughs> um, earliest in Prince, about 1881, the Commonwealth of Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. Louisville. Uh, 1881. 1881. Yeah. Um... Tommy Price, an ex-convict, left Owenton because the boys about town took him to the woods and flogged him. James Crockett, who has only been out of the county jail for a short while, was likewise complimented for painting the town red, and he is also visiting out of the city. Just a little write-up in the Commonwealth. What about the flogging? Uh, That was not... That was uh, Tommy Price. He was an ex-convict, and he left Owentown. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, no, yes. I, this was a gray area for me there. Yeah. That's just the, uh, it's a little snippet of the of the article. All right. I'm sorry. Um, 1882, also Stanford, Kentucky. He gets on a high old drunk with a doubtful old man, and they paint the town red together. That's the semi-weekly interior journal of Stanford, <laughs> Kentucky. <laughs> so, he's doubtful about what? A doubtful old man. I don't know what he's doubtful about. Maybe he's like a, you. You know, maybe he's not a character you'd want to be. Or like, oh, I don't. I don't think we should spend time with that old man. You know, he's like, oh, that's a guy who's a little doubtful. <laughs> yeah, like. Mm. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I like that usage. I, I I haven't enjoyed that before, to my knowledge. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it paints us that picture, right? Yeah, yeah it like, just uh, take, took me a minute. Mm-hmm. See, first I projected that he was doubtful, but now we're now you're saying to look at it as though we're doubtful about him, about the old man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the perspective I was missing. Yeah, when it first assaulted me, but I got <laughs> I'm back. <That's... laughs> 1883, 1884 were uh, the 1883s, kind of referring to. The Democrats charged up their own streetcars and being wafted into Newark proceeded to use their own metaphor to paint the town red. So we're still kind of, uh, you know, we're using it to, to mean it caused some trouble, perhaps. Be boisterous, especially mm. the uh, with the doubtful old man. Yeah. You're getting out there. Um, I saw a few theories that related this to uh, uh, basically red light districts of frontier towns, you know? And on payday, uh, perhaps one one person may treat the whole town like it was their own red light district, and just kind of uh, enjoy every every place and, and and things like that. I didn't see a lot of evidence uh, that said this is what it relates to because of the red correlation. Because of the red correlation, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's also been a, a little hypothesis that that maybe it does come from uh, Dante's poem, The Inferno, which has a line. We are they who painted the world scarlet with sins. Again, creates a nice image. Painting the world scarlet with sins. You're out there painting the town red with uh, with debauchery or boisterous exuberance. You know? Yeah. Uh, it could, some people say that it might just relate to your, when you drink alcohol and your face gets a little flushed. You know, maybe you're uh, maybe you're out there. I know that happens to some people when they drink wine, for sure. Their cheeks get that uh, that like uh, blood flush. Well, I mean, there is that thing about red, right? Now, I I'm not a fan, but you know, the red car, uh, a woman in a red dress, or you know, it's mm-hmm. like a she's racy or whatever. Right. I, you know, I I don't um. I don't like the red, but but it seems to have that connotation across a, a number of uh, spectrum. Right, and it it does sort of. We know about psychology and how colors can affect certain things, and how maybe colors can stand in for certain things or cause certain moods because of. You know, it's hard to say. Did the colors themselves create these feelings? Like, I'm going to touch upon sort of. I might as well just do it now. Does. Um, a bonfire painting the sky red at night feel like something to us inside. This is, again, a theory. There's some old Irish uh, ballads that mention exactly that, painting the sky red with bonfires and, and all those. But I mean, not that we wouldn't have done that across many cultures, many fires, many night skies. And fire is red. So is it is it the color that then kind of we see the color and it relates to things to us and then we go from there or do we assign a thing to a color based off of society it's hard to say those ones because like you said the love and the lust and like red lips things like that you know what i mean is that where you're kind of coming from yeah yeah that's um sort of where we end up i'm gonna take us on a little story to get there story but um but it is you know, like you said, not not unlike that. There, there is a lovely bit of lore, however, and apparently this is told in this town. 
I'm just going to tell you right now that it's it's not true. <laughs> just, to tell, oh. just I'm sorry. I know. You, you don't feel like rusing us up. No, no. It's it's a it's a great story, and these are these are things that happened. This this is seemingly a true story. Just not just not the story. It's just there is a large gap of time. So we'll, uh, I'll just uh, here we go. <laughs> um, it's I believe. It's, it's hard to pronounce these towns. Uh, Lectishire. I like it. Yeah. Melton Mowbray, Lectishire. Um, this is in England. Uh, in 1837, there's a, a known rabble rouser uh, by the name of Henry Beersford, the Marquis of Waterford, is, is his title. Um, mm. He's also known as the Mad Marquis. Uh, he's known for fighting, stealing, uh, being invited to leave Oxford University. <laughs> uh, Sir, the door. Please, we, we invite you to leave. Um, breaking windows and uh, apparently literally um, upsetting apple carts. <laughs> like huh. actual apple carts. <laughs> Apples didn't do anything. No, I know. Uh, so the story goes, uh, and seems, again true um he'd been out drinking with his friends uh, after you know going to i guess horse races at this time and um they basically after they're done enjoying themselves at the bar they find and it sounds like they like get to a either a hardware i don't know what, what a hardware store equivalent of the 1830s would be they find a place where paint would be at someone's like house store <laughs> They like barricade this dude in his house and steal his paint. <laughs> and then they go through town uh, splashing paint on doors and windows uh, and some signs and things like that. And these, this, this did happen. This is real. Uh, this is the thing that happened. They were, you know, they were fined uh, for, it says common assault for, I guess, for the sort of kidnapping that dude's paint. Or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and there are paintings about this night. Uh, as well. That's really going to convolute this <laughs> issue. <laughs> um, it just, the fact that they they literally did paint things red in this town. They painted shop windows. Some, it's not like they covered everything in red paint, but there were, you know, painted lines on windows and on some shop signs, it seems like. Um, but this was 1837, and the, the earliest we get recorded evidence is 1881. So that's that's a long time. Um, and also a different country, you know, that's here in the U.S., and, you know, obviously, when it arrives in Kentucky in 1881. Um, but like we were saying before, we, we've been using the word paint, at least, the very least, since the 1300s, even further back, um, just the word paint. But, you know, to paint something black in the 1500s was, was related to death, you know? To paint something red would probably be just used to be something exciting or something, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. There is, I have no answers, but these are the theories, And but I think it, it is more like we were talking, even simpler than that, but there's no evidence, as we like to say. Man. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the Mad Marquis. The Mad Marquis. Did, in fact, go out and paint the town red. And and why shouldn't this marquee right. have have a time of it, a boisterous <laughs> time for himself? Upsetting apple carts. 
Yeah, that's the only part I don't like. <laughs> Everything else is fine. I mean, they're gonna, I mean, but they're gonna get bruised. All those, all those apples. All those apples. Just I gotta make cider. I'm gonna get heartburn from the cider. <laughs> Why is it so dry? Well, I wonder. Yes. Then Ray. Yeah, Jay. While the Mad Marquis was out, yes, painting the town red, mm-hmm. might he have also been hobnobbing? Hobnobbing, you say? Yeah, might hobnobbing have. with his uh, with his compatriots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I we think don't know. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> so I have to ask you. Yeah. Wait, you were done, right? I was. I uh, yeah. I was we done. had painted the town. We, we painted, painted the town that, red. It was. We were on the black. red. Yeah. Everything's red. Painting that red door black yeah yeah well you paint the door red when the mortgage is paid off huh yeah that's interesting i've seen some people with red doors and chances are either they really love red or they know or they or the mortgage is paid off (laughs) and i guess that that's something old that had to do with um taxes or something you know okay I don't know. Well, it's not an idiom. Next so one. We, we might not cover it. Next so, show. <laughs> yeah. Hobnob. Hobnob. Yeah. Sorry. No. Yeah. So, hobnob, what do you, how do you define hobnobbing? Honestly. Hey, so you were out hobnobbing with your friends or whatever. I don't know. It's, can I, I mean, the what I get whenever someone says that to me, what I think of in my mind is like you're out with somebody, you're you're partying, but like you're literally rubbing elbows, like in a jokey way, like you're elbow ribbing the elbows. I know, no, I know. <laughs> Why? My I don't know. My brain says you're out doing stuff, hanging out with people, sure, but you're also like elbow and your elbows like, are involved. But fun, like fun elbows. I know. I don't elbows fun. I think it's the, the knob. I don't know. Hob knob. Oh, I see. It just, like it, your elbow yeah, bone is right, a knob. Exactly. Wow, man. <laughs> no, that's good. No wrong answers. <laughs> yeah, that's how my brain does things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I see when people say it. Just like someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but please tell me. Yeah. I'm what is it try. really? Yeah. Uh, well, the definition, according to you know our dictionaries, boiled down, is to associate familiarly or to drink socially. Oh, just in just standard. I'm hobnobbing, going out to grab a drink, is hobnobbing. Uh, apparently, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Today. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. All right. Yep. For a hobnob later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something else. Yeah. But um, I'll get to that. So there is an idea about this that m- many pay uh, credence to. I do not because I researched. <laughs> and uh, so uh, Hob. So here's the thing. Okay. On uh, old hearths, fireplace mm-hmm. hearths. Yeah. Sometimes why hard for me to say is um, this thing that sticks out from it that is like a it's a riser. They they come in all kind of different things, but it's basically to have a more area for warming. So you could pool, like I've been watching again these mm-hmm. videos of these people from uh, 1820 replicators, you know, reenactments, not actual, yeah, yeah, and uh, showing you how they cooked then and all yeah. this this fireplace accoutrement they have and you know it's like a 
table that's still made of bricks and connected to your fireplace, but either on top of the fire uh, and the flue is, is curves under it, or it's just like a bigger shelf table out in front of the fire. And this oh, thing okay. is called the hob. Yeah. And there is not dispute about that. So the argument or the case for this history is that you would have, uh, you put your beer on the hob yeah. and it would warm it. Okay. But if you kept it on the table, the table uh, being called in some circles of history the knob, you had cold beer. Okay. And if you were hobnobbing, you were having cold and or warm, warm beer. beer. Yeah. Cold and or warm beer. Okay. Um, problem with this is twofold. <laughs> <laughs> Let me back us up here, Rob. <laughs> yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, one, that's ridiculous. No, sorry, go ahead. Well, well, one, there's so much more evidence to the contrary that, that this is not it. And then two, there's nowhere that I can find, and I invite listeners, <laughs> uh, you know, to dispute this. There's nowhere I can find where anyone defines any table as a knob <laughs> with any spelling whatsoever. Yeah, okay. So someone had an, oh, that's called the hob? That must be where hobnob comes from. Perfect. Yeah, well, what's a knob? Uh, let's, uh, you know. That thing that comes out of the table. Run yeah, with it. Run with it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm not saying they made it up. Yeah. But I'm just saying. There's no evidence. Yeah. Here's another thing. A uh, knob, uh, you know, for for some circles, you know, back in, you know, let's probably say 17th century era, it meant uh, a whitehead uh, or head, which was, uh, you know, knob could be a head. Mm -hmm. And then a uh, whitehead was, it meant um, you, had a, you had a wig on. You It was basically uh, noble. Oh, okay. So, um, you whitehead, if you were a knob, you were a noble person with a big white powdered wig, you know. Does it have a, a correlation to noble at all, or was that just a you know, it kind of doesn't? And yeah. you, you would think, yeah. well, there's there's NOB right there, yeah. Um, but the etymology on this is really it was NAB, and it was always oh. a small a or small o sound, never. A long O sound. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Because they were never noblemen. No, it was not. They, okay, they yeah. Noblemen. Different roots. Yeah. I feel you. <laughs> Nablemen. Yeah. But hobnob has its uh, connections or cousinry, kinfolkery <laughs> to <laughs> oh, an, an old idiom that we did in uh, the beginning of Whole Nine Yards, probably, you know, one of our earlier yeah. episodes, but we still toss around today yeah. quite readily and joke about it now that we know more about its history. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But let me take you back. Uh, 1500s, we're saying hab-nab, and this is, it, it comes in a lot of different colors, but for this sake right now, uh, OED would say... Uh, 1500 hab nab mm -hmm. uh, to get or lose hit or miss succeed or fail however it turns out a venture at random yeah so 
What does that remind you of? I mean, we say willy nilly all the time. Willy nilly. Pretty much all the time. Will high, <laughs> will high. Nil, will will we nilly? I mean, I say it every way I can. Sure. <laughs> and we fold it into Pittsburghese and many things. Yeah. Yes. So, a uh, hab nab, habenzi nabenzi, uh, <laughs> yeah. in uh, fifteen forty two, apothems of Erasmus. And this is this is H A B B E N A B B E in good uh, Middle English tongue. Mm-hmm. Habe or nabe to win all or lesse all. <laughs> Perfect. But but we have it there, don't we? Yeah. Uh, it's it's setting it up uh, to get or to lose. Mm-hmm. And then once again, once again, for the love of Saint Joe. Must they always? Was everything come back to Shakespeare? Why? Because he's the writer. Uh, I'll I'll give you that one in a bit. But but he has a quote that basically uses it in um, "Give it or take it." Uh, as he referring to a character living his life this way, he's all "Give it or take it." Mm-hmm. And this is also in Twelfth Night, which continues to come up. Yeah, that does. Wow, it's like the third or fourth time. Yeah, but we know you know Shakespeare's uh, right there, turn of the uh, 1500s, 1600s. Mm-hmm. That continues to be that way. Habby nabby is to have or have not, to give or take, to win or lose, uh, like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere in the 1700s, though, uh, people begin to use it in a fun way involving drinking. And... Oh, sure. It's more, uh, you know, it's sometimes described as toasting. I will toast, you will toast. It's sometimes described in a way where it's, you will choose red wine or white wine to habe or nabe. (laughs) But (laughs) I don't see a context for the red and white, but there's Mm. no doubt that that was a big deal of it for a while. But in the end, it boils down more to maybe I buy the round then you buy the round mm-hmm. you know yeah so they sort of all have no one's losing or or not having no right but it's you're paying then Mine's I'm paying money, right like that you know yeah, yeah. but we shouldn't forget the noble aspect you know uh of knob at some point as well <laughs> you knob yeah um in this way um 1756 again back at the oed book mm-hmm. uh samuel foots the englishman returned from paris a farce then they proceed to demolish the substantials with perhaps an occasional interruption of here's to you friends hob or knob <laughs> your love and mine <laughs> nice yeah 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 okay so red or white wine, it's referred to that, you know, mm-hmm. in 1762. Yeah. It, it, it's referred this way. It's more jovial and less uh, have or have not, will I, nil I-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 1700s. Yeah. So all this time, 1700s and, and before, they were related to those two words. It was still habe, nabe, mm-hmm. hob, hob, knob okay. were two words. You, you had and you had not. You were buying or you were 
not buying. Someone else was buying. You were a hob or you were a knob. You were hob or you were knob, and gotcha. then and we'll switch places. Yeah. Uh, but by the 1800s, it turned into one word, and it also began in its uses to be even more familiar uh, and jovial and and party in nature yeah. and uh, any connotation of of the not part and what that meant and what its true etymology was sort of faded a little bit even though you kept saying that um, that mm-hmm. meaning of knob nabe was was becoming a, a distant memory in, in history yeah yeah keep the word but drop the idea of it yeah, so if you were hobnobbing by now, you were just the same way we use it today. You were out drinking and being familiar and socializing. And even the the part that um the the uh, noble part of of knob, which is not where this came from, mm-hmm. but somehow persists embedded in the way we perceive what we're doing when we're partying. We are not, it is not you and I out drinking. It is one, it is us out drinking with, you know, uh, a politician or social, yeah, hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's still how I think of it. I don't see anything with elbows. Yeah, if I'm going to make fun of somebody for who they were hanging out with. No, that's my elbow is the fancy pants, maybe. Oh, the fancy pants. Yeah, you're like, like, I don't know. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it feels fancy, for sure. It feels fancy. It feels fancy. Hobnobbing. Hobnobbing. Yeah. And it's not a table. (laughs) I don't, you know. No one has ever called it a knob. (laughs) I can't find it. I looked through so many dusty law books. <laughs> a good idea got lost. <laughs> so, uh... Whole Nine Yards is sponsored by Big Science Music. Big Science Music is a can and one show award-winning original music and sound boutique, providing scoring, sound design, radio, podcast, and audio post-production services for the advertising, film, and video industries. Big Science Music also offers ADR, casting, and project management. Big Science Music's reels, full capabilities, and more can be found at BigScienceMusic.com. That's BigScienceMusic.com. Okay, so we're back then. And we're back now. Yes. Can't sing. Can't. Nope. Uh, We didn't. We're good. Parties. Parties. We're partying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are those are uh, hobnobbing. You're partying. Partying for sure. Painting the town red. Definitely. Painting the town red. You're definitely partying. Still partying. My next one is uh maybe it's not as hardcore of a party of those other ones. Sort of a gathering. Maybe it's just yeah. Maybe you're just having fun. You know. All right. Yeah. Jay, do you know a animated television show called The Simpsons? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the defeat in your voice. <laughs> well, in this show, which has many great episodes, sure. Um, there's one where 
it just starts out Bart and Milhouse are, are walking to school on a beautiful, beautiful summer day. And they're talking to each other about how beautiful a day it is, how marvelous and wonderful this day is. And in fact, it's such a wonderful day. Why are we in such a hurry to get to school? So Bart slows a little, slows down a little bit. And then Milhouse slows walking down a little bit. And then Bart stops. And then Milhouse says, fun is fun, Bart. But if we're late, we're going to get in trouble. And then the bell rings. Did you hear that, Bart? That was the tardy bell. Truant, 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 they'll all say. Then Milhouse screams and runs off. And then Bart goes off on his own to, uh, to be a truant, in fact. Uh, so Bart has chosen today, that day, to, uh, to play hooky from school. Uh, yeah, he, he, well, uh, he did play hooky. Yeah. That's not really a party, is it? I mean, he's off not doing what he's supposed to do. Yeah. Which is, one could say, party. I don't know. Yeah, not specifically a party. All right. He's off having his own fun. Um, the OED defines the word hooky as being full of hooks. <laughs> That's not very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. Uh, Joseph Field, 1841, is early quote. It's like a little uh, poem. It is a poem. It's not like a poem. It's a poem. Um, and oh, how sweet the memory of boyish days when carelessly we stole away from home and rule, played hooky and deserted school, to wander fancy fetter free among Pomona's treasures there, heaven smiling past the registry to snatch a peach, perhaps a pear. That's a Joseph Field, 1841. Uh, what a what a nice uh, sentiment. Yeah. Um, but he's he's talking about that when carelessly we stole away from home and rule to play hooky to just kind of uh, enjoy enjoy ourselves on that day. Yeah, I feel free already. Right, F- fancy, fat, or free. Um, John Bartlett Russell, who I believe we've brought up, Dictionary of the Americanisms, as we have. Yeah, eighteen forty-eight. This is uh, he defines it to play hooky is to be truant, common among schoolboys. <laughs> I love the word truant. I don't know if you get that from my intro. No, I was picking up on it. (laughs) Um, Mr. Russell and a few other people will give you a little tie to a link that is lovely. Uh, The Dutch word, I mean, it's hooky, but it's H-O-E-K-J-E, which translates uh, to hide and seek. And again, I know we love origins uh, like that that can be tied up with a little bow. But uh, I was looking at more into that idea, and it would be seemingly be unusual for New York schoolboys of the 1800s to know Dutch uh, like that, while, again, the Dutch have been in New Netherlands since the 1600s, uh, and more Dutch folks did uh, immigrate to North America here in the 1800s. Those groups seemed to settle more in the Midwest, so... Again, as a theory of it going directly from Dutch word hide and seek to New York schoolboys is a little bit, uh, there's holes there, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get those a lot. What I did see, and also Mr. Russell goes on to define this one, is is on one's own hook, which is a phrase uh, that he defines as basically doing business for yourself. You're doing business on your own hook. You're, you're working for yourself. You're kind of on your own hook, basically. <laughs> and in the same book, there's some 
criminal jargon, I guess you'd call it. Uh, hook it is to steal in the criminal sense. So you could see maybe uh, stealing some time, stealing some things away. But I, I really think that it's just like the on one's own hook and fought on one's ho- own hook are sort of contemporary phrases, if you will. So it's hard to say that that's where they come from, but they're also old enough that it's certainly possible. And the idea of um, on one's own hook really, you know, people are saying it could relate to kind of stealing things as you would need to uh, get by if you were, you know, if you needed something, or also relating it directly to fishermen and hunters, like literally living off of your own hook, whatever you catch. You know what I mean? So you're out there. Yeah. You're on your own hook. You So the, the thought on one's own hook, on one's own hook, comes through in these ideas. And now I'm out there playing hooky. I'm on my own hook, really. I'm out there on my own hook. And through sort of this little time window, again, it's it's very contemporary. You get the phrase hook jack, which is also a sense of playing truant. Um, it's hook with a, a capital J. A name, a name, Jack. Also from the Dictionary of Americanism, same thing. <clears throat> They're uh, like they tried to connect it to uh, like hook Jack away from school. You know what I mean? You're gonna hook Jack to get out of school. Yeah, <clears throat> and kind of go that way with it. Which again, not uh, not ridiculous. Is that a hooker and then the hooky? <clears throat> so uh, yeah. I, I I get I get you to skip school with me. Right, you I'm hook, hooker like you're, you're I'm Jack, and you're hooking Jack to go to to skip school, mm-hmm. and then now we become hook Jacks again. You know, Jack is a you know just placeholder for person at this time. Um, it just, they just seem to crop up, sort of right around the same time, um, and it's hard to say what it uh, it comes from because they're all like right around there. I think the 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 longest running definition would be kind of from fishermen. And living on your own hook, fought on your own hook. This comes up a same thing a, a lot around the same era. There's a lot of stuff, <clears throat> a lot of things about the civil or writings about the Civil War, where people will say fought on your own hook, fought on one's own hook. Uh, but that's the same time frame. Like we're all, it's all right around here in the 1840s, 1860s. You know, that's later, obviously. But yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know that it rings quite as footloose and free to me that way. I'm on my own hook, then no one's feeding me. I got to feed myself. So that seems like work. I guess, sure. I took it even a step further as in it's not work-related now. We're on your own hook. You're on your own time. You're able to do whatever you want to do. So, yes, it did start in the very literal, I may die, but then became more of a, I'm on my own time. I'm on my own hook. On my own hook. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Denoting on one's own account, he is doing business on his own hook. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't. There's no specific leap, and again, it's all such right around in the same times, so it's hard to hard to parse through. And I didn't get fought on one's own hook, besides quotes from like Civil War era stories. But nothing was like, this is why this is there, you know? Besides yeah. the literal fishermen. Yeah, well, all those uh, books got wet and uh, whatever. We can't read them. That's right. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm playing hooky. I was playing hooky. 
Bart was playing hooky. Truant. <laughs> All right. Well, if when you were playing hooky, see, that might preclude you from going to the dance. Yeah. And then at the dance, you might see a wallflower. <laughs> I have been to dances and ha- and have seen wallflowers. Yeah. So I don't believe I've been one. Personally. I'm a big fan of dancing. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Oh no? Of course I knew no. that. <laughs> <laughs> of course I knew that. <laughs> Wallflower. Yeah. Now this is a, a party from the other side of the aisle, isn't it? Right. You don't maybe you're not comfortable partying. The wallflower isn't? Or do you just, perhaps, yeah, social anxiety, which I also have that. It's weird. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Maybe you just, or you don't like dancing. Or what, just in <laughs> doesn't a matter. damn bad mood that night. Yeah, right, sure. So definition of person who, because of shyness, unpopularity, or lack of a partner, remains at the side at a party or dance. Any person, organization, etc., that remains on or has been forced to the sidelines of any activity. Hmm. Oh, so if you get, if that's your, you, you're on the bench, you're a wallflower. I got you. They benched you. Yeah. Well, the firm was a wallflower in this year's bidding for government contracts. Oh, I see. So they just sort of uh, opted not to, put, you know what I mean? Yeah, I got you. Uh, once you have an idiom, you could ply it around and use it in a want. few different ways. Yeah. <laughs> a European plant... Uh, of the mustard family, that when growing wild on walls, cliffs, etc., has sweet-scented, usually yellow or orange flowers. Oh. And that's important. Okay. Uh-huh. Is it like an ivy, or it's different? Uh, well, th- it varies, because there's, um, it's really any, any of the several related plants uh, of the cherianthus. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Now, the thing about wallflower... We got a nice uh, tack on it. It's not a complete picture, uh, note for note, but we get most of the notes. Uh, first written uh, as a mention of as a flower in 1330, uh, says Oxford. Oh, yeah. Anonymous Middle English romance written in around that time. Uh, Mary, it is in time of June... Violet and rose flower, one hand in maiden's hour. But this this refers to the flower itself. Mm-hmm. And what should be noted, the shrinking violet is an actual damn flower too. Shrinking? Shrinking violet. Okay. Where I have heard, forgot that I had heard, and then was made to realize that I forgot... <laughs> Uh, we talked about this by the well by the research. Yeah, that shrinking violet is sort of a, a sister metaphor to wallflower in a, you know oh, idiom. Yeah. You know? Okay. Sure, I get you. Uh, so what we really see in one way, walking backwards, eighteen thirty three references using shrinking violet in the idiom like figurative sense in this uh, book in uh, eighteen thirty three. A Goaty's Ladies Book, an American magazine. All right. Uh, and it's talking about Juliet and Shakespeare's Romeo and comparing her uh, 
to another character, uh, Thekla. The timidity of Thekla in her first scene, her trembling silence in the commencement, and the few words she addresses to her mother reminds us of an unobtrusive simplicity of Juliet's first appearance. But the impression is difficult. The one is the shrinking violet, the other the expanded rosebud. Hmm. And there's no quotes. So by 1833... Yeah. Shrinking violet was sort of understood as an idiom for an idiom. A, a timid, mm-hmm. let's say, yeah. person. And in these contexts, most usually female. Maybe it's just not your type of music. So it's all around this time that we, we recognize that somewhere in language on the streets, this transition had occurred and been understood. That what was laying right there, ripe for the picking, if I may was the use of the literal wallflower mm-hmm. as a metaphor for a, a pretty but quiet sidelined female, uh, self-imposed side lineage. <laughs> um, and, and this is given to us first for, uh, for history by this fellow Winthrop Mackworth, <laughs> and Sweet. so Winthrop was a politician and I won't bore you with the, all of this poem but the pieces that come before this he's slaughtering this fellow uh, Sir Paul Whew, he's brutal to him <laughs> uh, and Sir Paul is a fellow politician mm-hmm. so Winthrop Mackworth he decided to use his literary skills to trounce his opponents. Sure. So he'd publish poetry about them. <laughs> and, uh, but here he encapsulates our, our chosen idiom of the day and documents its transition into this figurative form. Mm. Sir Paul is young in all but years, and when his courteous face appears, the maiden wallflowers of the room admire the freshness of his bloom. <laughs> so. It's a pretty fresh bloom you got there, buddy. Yeah. But I'm telling you, the stanza before is brutal. <laughs> so we don't have the first transition because that probably happened, you know, something lost to time, some pamphlet, yeah, you know, some distributed mm-hmm. piece uh, that was used as uh, fire kindling and and we never got it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Winthrop knew it, heard it, used it to a great advantage, and so uh, and so we have it at least from that time, eighteen twenty one, which is very similar to the to the time of the previous periodical I read you about the shrinking violet used similarly. Mm-hmm. So early eighteen hundreds was a time of really enjoying these. Uh, the birth of these kind of flower idioms. metaphors. Yeah. We're really big into flowers this year. Yeah, it was, uh, it happened. Yeah. So that's what I have for you nice. with wallflower. Oh, that's a pretty good party episode. Yeah. I, I thought I felt pretty okay about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always love it when, when there's exact, dif- you know, but yeah. this is pretty close on this one. This nice. re- really gets you there. It gets you. Yeah. Pretty close. I hear you. And that habin nabin, you know, I, 
It brings me more things to say and poke fun about. Habba nabba. Yeah, it did dawn on me halfway through Wallflower that I didn't, I didn't bring up in in hobnob habnab nab nabby is to not to not have to less. And one definition of that that we don't really use. I think I used to use it as a kid. Uh, it would be to snatch, to grab, to kidnap. Those were definitions of nab. You were saying, I'm going to mm, go and nab. Yeah, nab. I, I nabbed his. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? We don't yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Well, it slid away. I mean, wow. Yeah, you're right. You know, if, if, mm-hmm. you, had a, if you had a Heath bar and went to the bathroom, I, I got nabbed Ray's <laughs> yeah. Heath bar yeah, right. off the table. Yeah, right? right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But we don't say it like that. No. Uh, so I thought I, I thought it was important that I uh, bring that up. Nice. That I I left that out yeah, accidentally. Yeah. You're right. But that's all. We would love to hear from you, wouldn't we, Ray? Yeah, if you have thoughts, feelings, concerns, ideas, anything. Relative criticism. Relative criticisms. I, like I definitely toss that out all the time now. Yeah. Yeah. I like going through that little laundry list. Mm-hmm. Gets people thinking. Yeah. But if you'd like to think and also send us something that says that... We would love that as well. Indeed. <laughs> and how would we do that? You could find us on Twitter, Reddit, and Instagram at Whole Nine Yards Pod. The nine is a number. And at uh, Facebook Meta at Whole Nine Yards Podcast. The nine, nine is a number. number. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. It would be great. And hopefully you keep on listening. Keep on listening. (laughs) And until then, I'm Jay. And I'm Ray. And And we're we're not not idioms. Whole Nine Yards is written, recorded, and produced by Big Science Pods. Learn more at whole9yards.org or contact Whole Nine Yards by emailing heyyou at whole9yards.org. That's heyyou at whole9yards.org. Whole Nine Yards theme music composed by Big Science Music.